All right. Well, it is a pleasure to be here with you. We have been in the month of October focusing on global missions. We've had some missionaries who have come in. We've had some folks who work with some of our missionaries all across the globe. And it has been a pleasure to hear what God is doing around the world. We are a missions movement. If you were to look at the genesis of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, it didn't start as a uh, denomination. It started as a movement for mission, where an ecumenical group from all kinds of different churches came together for the purpose of sending missionaries, of funding missionary work, and of going on missionary work. And so we've been focusing on that in the month of October as we've been looking at the story of Jonah. And we will end this last Sunday in October finishing off the story of Jonah, but we will be contrasting his life against a guy named Hobab. And so the title of the sermon is Be a Hobab. You have in your bulletin, Satisfied with the Second Best, but I want you to remember to be a Hobab. And that's how we will look at this passage of Scripture as we move forward. Let us pray, and then we will look at the Word of the Lord together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. We thank you that when you do speak a word, it becomes so. It is so. Thank you. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fall fresh upon us this morning. We ask for your presence. We ask for you to speak the truth of the word to our hearts. For your word is active and living and breathing. We ask as we come to the word this morning that we will expect transformation, not just education. Because the Word of God is not just for our minds, it's for our very lives. May we be challenged and encouraged. And we ask again for your presence in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. One of my favorite stories, and I'm sure I've shared it before in, on Wednesday nights or from the pulpit, but one of my favorite stories is of uh, a little daughter and her dad. Now, it's probably because I am a daughter dad that stories like this just really get to my heart, but there's this story of this dad who wanted to give his daughter a string of plastic pearls. And he brings the plastic pearls to his daughter, and she loves them. Uh, she just loves to wear these things all around the house. She loves to wear them when she plays outside. She loves to wear them at school. These are her favorite things on the planet. Well, her dad sees that she's able to take care of this plastic string of pearls, and so he has it in his mind to give her a real string of pearls. She's proven that she is successfully able to take care of them. So one night, he goes into his daughter's room, and he says, Honey, can I have your plastic pearls? She's like, No, Dad, you gave these. These are, these are mine. Why would you ask for those? She was a little offended, a little upset. So he backed down. And then the next night, he comes, and he says, Hey, honey, can I have your pearls? And she says, No, Dad, these are mine. And she clings to them and holds them. And I wear them everywhere. Time and time again, he would come, and she would consistently say that they're mine. But one night... He goes into his daughter's room, and she's crying. And he's like, honey, what's wrong? And there in her hand, she has the pearls and say, I don't know why you want these, but you keep asking, and so I'm going to give them to you. 
And so he takes the, the plastic pearls and immediately he whips out a box with real pearls and he gives them to her and says, Honey, I've been waiting to give you this string of pearls. These are real. Thank you for giving me the plastic ones so that you can enjoy the real deal because you've proven that you can take care of them. And of course, they both cry. You know, it's a daughter-dad thing and they're just overjoyed and excited. I share that story not just because the love of the father, but because the daughter was satisfied for a large amount of time with that which is second best. She was okay with plastic when she could have had the real. And I think that you and I, we live that way as well. Often in our lives, we are satisfied with that which is second best. We're okay with just doing the motions of the Christian life But that's just second best. In our world, we have so many distractions, so many things that want to vie for our time, for our attention, whether it's Netflix or soccer games or baseball games or football games or whatever it may be, the news that we just can't stop watching, the Facebook that we just can't turn off, the Instagram that we can't stop taking pictures for. We are constantly distracted, and Rick Romano reminded us of that reality. But when we allow ourselves to be so distracted, we become satisfied with a string of plastic pearls when God has something so much more for us. Because Christ and his mission are the supreme thing in life. Nothing else will ever satisfy. Nothing else will be as good as that. And I believe that Christians off mission are satisfied with the second best. Christians off mission are satisfied with the second best. When we are just attending, when we are just doing the motions, when we're not on mission for Jesus, the Jesus who saved us as we saw the story of Jonah consistently, that God is a loving God who brings salvation. And when we understand that for ourselves, the mercy and the grace and the love that God has given to us, we should be on mission to share that with the world. But when we are not, we're being content with just the second best. We're slaves to the second best. So the question that we're going to look at today as we contrast the life of a guy named Hobab to the life of Jonah, we will see an answer to this question. How can we overcome slavery to the second best? How can we overcome slavery to the second best? If Christians are satisfied with, you know, the second best when we're off mission, how can we go on mission. And I believe that the the contrast of Hobab and Jonah will give us four steps in how to do that. Now you might be wondering, who in the world is Hobab? So let me give you a little bit of background on who Hobab is. We see a, a guy named Hobab show up in the book of Numbers 10, 29 through 31. It's a very short passage, and then we'll see him again in Judges 4, 11, and we'll read those in a moment. But Hobab is either one of two people which is kind of confusing, right? It's either the brother-in-law of Moses or the father-in-law of Moses. Now, when you look at the linguistics of this, especially in Joshua 4.11, it can be a little bit confusing because it calls him his father-in-law, but here in Numbers it'll call him his brother-in-law. But I believe that it is the unknown Hobab that is the brother-in-law of Moses. So we're going to go with that. Because as I've studied it through commentaries, the linguistics can be confusing, and sometimes they just don't really fully understand who the person is. But I'm just going to say that Hobab is the brother-in-law, because we all know that Jethro is the father-in-law, and he goes by Jethro throughout the rest of the scriptures. So Hobab is a very little 
unknown character in Scripture. And we will look at his story. Because he gives us the steps on how to be not satisfied with the second best. And the first step that he gives us to overcoming the slavery of the second best is the step of hope. God's invitation is full of irresistible hope. God's invitation is full of irresistible hope. Let's look at Numbers 10, 29, and then Jonah 4, 2 through 3 together. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Raul, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will do good to you. For the Lord has promised good to Israel. Jonah 4, verses 2 through 3. And this is Jonah praying. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah understood in this passage that God's mercy and grace are filled with hope. He recognized because we see that God called him to preach the good news to the Ninevites. Jonah was the first missionary out of Israel to bring the truth of the good news to another country about the living Lord. He didn't want to go because he hated the Ninevites. His bias was against them. He believed that God's mercy and grace should only be for the Israelites. He's more than willing to accept the irresistible hope of God's mercy for himself, but was more unwilling than anyone else in the scriptures to share the good news of God's mercy with another group of people. He understood the irresistible hope of the truth of God's word, of the truth of God's call, of the truth of God's mission. He says, you were loving kind, full of loving kindness and grace and mercy. He didn't want that for the Ninevites. In contrast, we see that Moses wants that for Hobab. Hobab, being his brother-in-law, was going to stay where he was as the Israelites left. They weren't in Midian anymore. They had traveled a little ways with the Israelites. And here Hobab was going to make his own little land out of this random area. And Moses looks at Hobab and says, just come with us. Come. We want you to come with us, Hobab. We would love for you to be a part of what God is doing. And, and look, here's the hope is that we will take care of you. We will do good to you because God has promised good to Israel. Good things are going to happen. God is going to give us the land. It is going to be beautiful, flowing with milk and honey. And it's going to be the most beautiful place on the planet. You've never seen a place like this, Hobab. Please come with us. Come to the beauty of what God has for us. And we'll see in a moment that Hobab initially pushes back. But let's look at Hobab a little bit. Hobab, his name means favored or beloved. God had already put a, a name into his life of one who is beloved, one who is favored. And here he's calling him into a deeper relationship with the Lord himself, calling him into this hope-filled life of the future. Moses is reaching out, asking him to come. And he can receive all of the good things that Israel was going to receive 
All he had to do was say yes. All he had to do was go. Now, Moses never promised an easy journey. If you, if you were to look at this and you would say, how in the world is this filled with hope, Pastor Mar? Because they're going to go into the wilderness for 40 years before they get to that place. Here, it's like he's saying, sign up for this hopeless assignment where we're going to travel around for 40 years and it's going to be really bad, but eventually it's going to be really good. Now, they didn't know that they were going to be traveling around for 40 years yet. They didn't have the understanding that they had missed the mark. They didn't know what was going to happen, but he invites them into this, this hope-filled story. And we'll see at the end of the sermon the last point of why Hobab's presence was actually very important, even to the 40 years of wilderness wandering. But he offers him this hope. He offers him to come alongside, not just to say, hey, come with us and we'll do all these things for you. He offers, we'll see in a moment, to come alongside of him. Listen, God calls each and every one of us on mission. God calls each and every one of us to live the Christian life, not just to, to study it or to think about it or to go to church on Sunday or Sunday and Wednesday. But there's a call on each and every one of our lives to live the gospel life, to be transformed by the gospel, to go on mission, on a journey. And it's filled with hope. Could you imagine being used by God to bring those who are lost in the dark into the light? That your life, your words, your actions could draw people to Jesus. That's powerful. Last week, Pastor Mike shared about a time, just last week where he was able to lead someone to Jesus. And that's beautiful. That deserves celebration because someone who was lost has been found. And when God says, you're on a mission for me to do this great work, it's not just a journey that we go into, it's we walk alongside. Because a Christian's journey is both towards Jesus and alongside him. We can go towards Jesus and walk alongside him. That's a hope-filled reality. That you and I have purpose. That we have meaning. Our lives are <laughs> very, very important to this world. We tend to make excuses, though, not to go on mission. We might say, I'll get serious about my faith when I'm done with X, Y, Z. We can be very easily tricked into wasting our time. Wasting our lives, doing nothing but meaningless things. We live in a world that is so hopeless feeling. If we were to sit down and look at all the things that are happening, we'd say, wow, this world's hopeless. People just continue to kill each other. People just continue to do this and do that. The news is riddled with things that are just awful. But the mission of Christ is one that's filled with hope. We are the hope to a hopeless world. That's a powerful reality. And if that doesn't wake you up in the morning and get you jazzed to live your life, I don't know what does. We are supposed to be the most passionate, most exciting people because we have the truth of the gospel. But sadly, a lot of Christians are really boring people. Really boring. That's not how we're to live our lives. 
And when people touch our lives, when they experience us, they should experience the presence of God. They should smell the Lord's aroma on us, as the Scripture says. We should not be boring, lame people. We have the hope, the only hope, in a hopeless world. Because God is the only hope. No hedge fund, no, no bank account, no job, no promotion, no car, no house could ever bring the hope that the gospel brings. We are the bearers of hope in a hopeless world. A novelist once said, to live without hope is to cease to live. You wonder why people are walking around so depressed in our, in our world, even in our churches. It's because people have lost hope. People have forgotten in the church, believers have forgotten the hope-filled message that we carry. We literally do not have to fear or be worried about the world. We don't have to worry about the decline of things that are happening because we have the hope of Jesus. We have the beauty of the Lord where we can bring the mercy and the grace just by being present. But we don't do it. We sit and worry and bite our fingernails, live in fear rather than in hope. Man, we need to live in hope again. Hope is contagious, by the way. If you're to walk into a room and you're the person filled with hope and there's these people that are really sad, like, I've done it because I love to be an energetic person. You walk into a place where all the energy is really low and everyone's really sad. I walk into a room like, hey guys, what's going on? Woo! They look at you like you're a little bit crazy for a moment, but then you're like, let's go have fun. Let's do something. You know, and now if it's a teenage room of teenagers, like, well, that's lame. I don't want to do that. But if it's adults, let's go do something. I just want to play on my screen. No, you don't. You want to do something with your life. You don't want to be bored. You don't want to stare at a television. Digital pixels will never give you hope. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can bring hope. We've got to be the energy to the world. We're the only people that have the Holy Spirit living within us. We're the only people that have the light of Jesus. Man, how dare we waste that? When we sing that song, let me not put a, a bushel over my light. When you are lame and boring, that's putting a bushel over the light. Right? Let's not. Let's be people of energy, people of hope. Bring hope to a hopeless world. You know, you might have a, a rough job and things are going rough and people are always like, oh, my job is so far, terrible. But if you walk in and say, guys, we can make things better. Let's go. Let's band together for this week and let's make this work week amazing. You'll be the annoying energy person, but after a couple of days, they'll be like, wow, this job's not so bad anymore. I get to go and see this guy make a fool of himself. <laughs> Whatever. But here's a powerful truth from Glovis Chapel. The measure of our power to win others to Christ is the measure of the fullness with which we are possessed. By him. Are we possessed by the Lord? Filled with his passion, filled with his mercy, filled with his grace. Jonah was not. Jonah was a grumpy, whiny baby. His book is almost depressing to read, but he wrote it. He wanted you to know the messy person that he was. Jonah was deeply honest with what he really felt. God called him out on it. 
man, how filled with the Lord are you? Because when you're filled with Christ, you're a hope-filled person. But when we neglect our time with Jesus, when we neglect our prayer life, when we neglect opening the Word of God, when we neglect allowing God's truth to wash over us, that He loves us no matter what we've done, that should energize us. You know, like if you ever have a big failure and your parent or your, your spouse or your kid, they, they say, it's okay, I love you. And you still feel the love from the person that you just failed. There's something about that. Wow, that, that knits your hearts together. Man, we have done the worst to God that we could ever imagine. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And we've all messed up, but He loves us. When we allow that truth to go through us, possess us, it changes and transforms us. Hobab eventually chose to go. The message was irresistible. The hope was amazing. And the second step of overcoming the slavery to the second best is the step of direction. Because living without direction leads to stagnation. Living without direction leads to stagnation. And the opposite is true. Living with direction gives us purpose and strength and encouragement to move in the call that we have. Jonah's bitterness brought about a stagnant faith. Jonah was there just being a whiny baby. He sat in there and just complained and cried and fussed over the whole thing. His life was stagnant. The direction that God told him to go on to, he didn't like that direction. He tried to go the other direction, but God found a way to force him to get there because that's what his call and his will for Jonah's life was. And Jonah, one of the things, if you look at Jonah 3 that Glenn didn't mention last week, one of my favorite things about that passage is it is the literal worst sermon ever preached on the planet. And 120,000 people come to know the Lord. He just says, oh, you're going to be dead if you don't return and repent. That's literally all he said. That's it. And then they're like, oh, I'm convicted. I mean, could you imagine if that's how easy it was to go into, like, on national television? If you don't, if you don't turn, you're going to be destroyed. It's the worst sermon ever. I mean, it's full of truth, but, man, it's super short. There's, there's no hope in that. But they turned. And then Jonah was mad. He's like, I preached the worst sermon on purpose. And still... You were loving and kind and brought people to mercy and grace. He was stagnant. Hobab chose to go and he saw a change in his life. He saw a direction. He saw a way to go. You see, the point is movement. You and I are never meant to stay in one space for too long. Have you ever sat for hours and hours and hours, just in the same place. I'm sure with office jobs we do that sometimes. But you just, it just, it just hurts your back, and it, it's, that's stagnation. We're meant to move. Our bodies are meant to move. We need lactic acid to move in our, our muscles and our tissue. We're meant to move. The same is true in our Christian life. Too often we remain stagnant. We stay still too long. But we're called to move. 
We're called to be on mission. Many, many people spend the majority of their lives wandering around. We search for our identity, our significance, our place in this world, and we end up many times directionless because we're not pursuing the right things. We're not pursuing the Lord and His mission. We're not moving forward. We're staying still. Have you ever heard the old adage that if you're staying still, you're actually moving backwards? The same is true in our faith with the Lord. If we're not moving forward, if we're not moving forward on mission, we're moving backwards. We're declining because we're not increasing in our growth. The Lord wants us to be on mission, in movement. The next step we see is the step of community. Moses, in his first appeal to Hobab, states, Come with us and we will do good to you. He's saying to Hobab, my people will be your people. We need to do this in community. It's not just me, Moses, helping you, Hobab. We're a community. If you choose into this, we are a family. We're to walk in community. And the same is true for the church. Jonah tried to do all this stuff on his own. Man, he didn't even rely fully on God to do what he was called to do. He was bitter and angry. Could you imagine the transformation and change in Jonah's life had he just went with the Lord and walked in community with God and had a concerted heart with the Lord's? You and I, we're meant to be on mission, yes. We're meant to move forward, yes. But we're meant to do that in community. Another thing that happens often in the American church is that we individualize our faith too much. We have an individual responsibility of coming to Jesus. We have an individual responsibility of being in the presence of the Lord. We have an individual responsibility in many areas of our faith, but we also have a communal call where we're meant to be in fellowship. We're meant to do mission together. But often we have neglected that truth. A lot of times in the Western world, we put on masks and pretend that everything's okay. We don't really walk in community. We just sit next to people. It's like we're on a subway in New York where we have no idea who the people are, but we're just trying to get from point A to point B and we ignore everyone around us. There's no real community on a subway. The church often reflects that. Or we're just trying to go from Sunday school to the end of church or the beginning of church to the end of church, but we're created for community. We're created to be walking alongside one another, truthful, honest, loving, encouraging. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost and give them a place to belong. The church is the place to belong. I often say the safest, most amazing and loving space that we should have in the world should be the church. Sadly, that's not what people experience on a regular basis. But we can be the change. We can be community. We can live in the truth of community, true fellowship. We need to. The fourth step that we see is the step of purpose. We find our purpose in pursuit of His mission. Numbers 10, 30 through 32. But Hobab said to him, I will not go. 
I will depart to my own land and my own kindred. And he said, please do not leave us, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us, and you do go with us. Whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same will we do to you. Judges 4.11, now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zanium, which is near Kadesh. And finally, Jonah 4, 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. You see, Hobab originally neglected his purpose of going. He did not go after the direction that Moses was drawing him into initially. But we know that Hobab chose to go because in the land of promise, his people were there. Jonah, he understood what God was calling him to do. Jonah understood the purpose with which he was called for in mission, and he was grumpy and grumbly about it. But when Hobab accepted, I think that Hobab was a linchpin for the people in the wilderness. Moses looks at him and says, Hobab, the reason we need you to go, not only will we do good for you, but you have the skills for the wilderness that no one else has. You're the one who knows where we should camp. You're the one who has the capability of recognizing what is safe and what is unsafe. Moses was basically saying, your skills are needed among us. If you come with us, you will have a purpose. You can use your skills and make us better. When we pursue his mission, God looks at each and every one of us and says, you have a purpose in my mission. There is no believer who has no purpose in his mission. Like Hobab, we might not even recognize the, the real power that we bring to God's mission. Hobab had no idea that his skills would be the linchpin to the safety of the people of Israel. Moses was apparently taken with his skills and said, you're the only one who can do this. If we don't have you, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Hobab accepted and went. And because they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, they had a guide who knew where to be safe. They had a guide who knew the desert. They had a person who could lead them and guide them into safety. Now Moses was the leader, obviously, but he relied heavily upon Hobab's talents. And so I share that with you because when we're not walking in pursuit of God's mission, we feel purposeless. What, what is my role? We might come to church and say, what is my role in this community? But I tell you, God has a role and a purpose for each and every one of you. You have talents and time and treasures that are not just financial, that you can bring to God's mission. It might not be this church specifically. God might be calling you to serve somewhere else in a different place in our community. And when God calls you to be on mission 
to do what he has for you. You will find your purpose. You will find satisfaction in the best thing that God has for you. We, many months, a couple months ago, built that stool. I didn't build it with my hands. We just put that stool there, and it says, we will serve. And many of you agreed, we will serve the Lord. There are areas in our church where we do need help. Children's ministry is one of those specific places. And I think one of the things that we've done in the American church, and this I'm guilty of it as well, is sometimes the staff and the pastors, they say, hey, the mission's ours. We'll take it. We'll deal with it. But we're all meant to be on mission together, serving the Lord with our time, our talents, and our treasures. If the Lord has had, put it upon your heart to help in some capacity in our church, please do so. We need you. Which brings me to the final point. You play a pivotal role in God's plans. You play a pivotal role in God's plans. Stephen Saccone says this, The church exists to equip and mobilize Christ's followers to embody Christ's mission. Mission is the difference between having an emotion and actually doing something about it. We're to be on mission for Jesus. You, me, each and every one of us. And when we are in pursuit of God's mission, we will find our purpose. So don't be a whiny Jonah. Be a Hobab. Be a Hobab. Now, that can be global or local. I want to encourage you as we have talked about our global missions, stay in tune and in touch with what we're doing around the world because God is doing incredible things through the missions movement of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. But if you feel so burdened to serve in this church or this community, wherever you find yourself, go in pursuit of God's mission. I'll leave you with this. In the back of the sanctuary, you will see it says you are now entering your mission field. And that is true. I pray that every time we leave this place, that we will take that to heart. That now as we leave this place and go back outside the walls of the church, that we will see that as our mission field. And we will go on mission for Jesus. Be a Hobab. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. I thank you for the story that Moses drew Hobab into mission and how he accepted that and was a key component to the Israelites in the wilderness. Holy Spirit, I pray that if there are people here who you are calling to serve in any capacity, it doesn't matter which capacity, I pray that they'll walk in obedience and see the direction, move on mission, and that they'll find purpose in the pursuit of your mission. In your name, amen.